Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. You guys know, like when I have someone on the show that, that I think is, is u- like unique in, in, in different ways, I always kind of give them a, a nickname. So in today's episode, I'm going to nickname our guest, the Not Average Boss. And he'll be able to tell you a little bit more about that. So before we dive into that again, I think this episode is going to give you a lot of jewels, a lot of nuggets, a lot of takeaways. So we want to hear about it, okay? Mark is our guest, and he wants to hear some information from you guys. So again, we want you to go to bossoncage.com slash group and leave some comments, share some information. What is your greatest takeaway from this episode? So without any other distractions, Mark, the floor is yours. Tell our audience a little bit more about who you are. Hey, I love the idea. Not average boss. I like it, man. Um, and I, I know I, our podcast is not your average financial podcast. And so I guess the theme al- aligns well. And it's true. You know, I think our background, uh, my wife and I, when we graduated from college, we woke up and found that I had accidentally married two women in college. Whoops. One was my beautiful wife. Uh, one was Sally May. If you know who she is, uh, we had $120,000 of student loan debt. She wasn't leaving till we paid her every last cent. Um, so it's sort of my alimony to Sally Mae, I guess. But we had, we had a, a massive amount of student loan debt. It was in the midst of 2008. No awareness of our finances. No ability to pay off the debt because we had no jobs. You know, there's pre, three private school degrees between us. Uh, none of it was really marketable in 2008. So what are you going to do? You know, I found myself walking up and down Chicago's Michigan Avenue, trying to find a barista job or something um, and coming up empty. You know, I even remember I sat down at a Chase Bank to be a teller. Um, and I don't think I got that job either. Maybe it was my bald head. I don't know what they were having a problem with. But uh, <laughs> but the 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 best thing I can say about our background and journey is that it it lit a fire under our butts to like get really honed in and focused and for real about our money. Because those monthly payments weren't just going to stop. You know, every month we had to find a way to wipe out that nut there and also cover our groceries and gas and all that fun stuff. So it got us ready in a hurry to think about our money. And we had to think different because we weren't just being handed a 401k at some job. We had to think different about how we were going to handle our money, our own personal private economy in the midst of the world's economy crashing, Mm -hmm. uh, which it seems to do now every 10 years or so or more or less, but we've got a, a massive uh, undertaking on our hands now as we've got a wonderful business with folks, over a thousand clients all around the country uh, in all 50 states and a few around the world too, which I've, I really love. Uh, and it's been a real privilege and honor to get to help other clients now uh, take back control of their financial future in a way that makes sense for them, is sane, predictable, and helps them become their own source of financing. Yeah, I think it's definitely humorous that you know you kind of brought up indirectly 
um, polygamy, right? Being married to essentially <laughs> to two wives. So Your word, not mine, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, just, just, just talk about that a little bit. I mean, I, I think that that's a really good analogy to think about. You're, you're, you're coming out of college, you have a degree, you're trying to figure things out, you're getting married, but you're already married to someone else and you're already making payments over there. So, I mean, what, what does that look like? How do you transition yeah. from that? Like, what does that, that, that ecosystem look like as far as a conversion factor? You know, um, Man, that is a great question. You know, let's let's go even deeper into this yeah. thing because contracts are really the basis of everything that I can find in human civilization, right? Whether it's a contract between we, me and my bride, that's kind of a contract a little bit, you know, love till death do you part. Sounds kind of like a contract. You even sign something. I think I signed something. There was a lot of, lot, lot of drinking going on there, you know, chocolate milk. <laughs> But uh, um, we had a <laughs> we had a great time at the wedding. We did make some promises to our future. Isn't that kind of what I do when all of us do when we get that credit card or that car loan or that student loan? We're making a contract with our future, and it's partnered up with somebody who may or may not have your best interest at heart. Unlike our wonderful spouses, oh. Sally Mae and Capital One and all these bozos, they're in the interest uh, of making profits for their future. Oh. You know, they're getting ready for their retirement. They're not exactly going to be helping you with yours. So if if we have a contract with every Tom, Dick, and Harry, um, whether it's our business line of credit or our mortgage or our student loans, debt comes with it some commitments, some promises. Till death do we part. Till debt do we part. Oh, wow. This is definitely interesting. So I mean, that, that kind of gives our like the listener, a little insight to who you are. So let's dive into that, that a little bit more, right? If you can define yourself in three to five words, what three to five words would you choose? Wow, the next couple words are going to be pretty important, man. Uh, wow. Um, I'd say um, counterintuitive, parodies, and playful. Nice. Nice. Those are a couple of words. We could keep going, but counterintuitive, parodies, and playful. I think the the general notion of a tennis ball floating down the gutter of life mm-hmm. is not a life I want to live. I want to move upstream financially, not just being counter to culture for just the sake of being different, but saying to myself, all right, if average is being in debt up to my eyeballs with a subpar 401k I can't touch for 30 years. If that's the average, I don't want to be average. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be awesome. I want to be not your average. And so, yeah, counterintuitive. And maybe even by parody, I'm saying not just, you know, not just going different for different sake, but how do we use the mainstream concepts and play with them some, be a little playful with it. Uh, and, ha- you know, like, like Weird Al kind of playful on, on uh, nice. some of these parodies, right? So how do we use what's coming at us and use it to our advantage? Not just get away from it, but actually make it make us stronger as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, quick case in point, if anybody has done any martial arts, sometimes, you know, the, the opponent coming at you, you can sometimes use their weight against them if you figure out how to leverage it. So leverage, in my opinion, is a key part of the parody uh, in the financial life uh, and in, in most of life too. Your business, you know, we all had to get, get around this word called pivot last year in 2020. I'd say that, you know, you can pivot in your financial life 
to help you not only just handle that debt and take care of it and pay off your old debts, whatever. Don't just pay off the debt. Hmm. Be the bank. You know, if yeah. banks are the problem, then you can become the bank. You can become a bank like the ones you know about and actually profit from the debt rather than just paying it off. That's kind of what I mean by parity. And then playful, nice. you know, what else are we doing here but playing? I mean, all, all us adults, we're really just in a sandbox together, playing with new toys called a podcast and Zoom and all that. And, you know, I'd much rather this than, you know, punching some check at, at some teller spot at some Chase Bank down the street. Nice, nice. So I'm thinking like, you know, obviously being playful and, uh, you know, this is the first time I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe I should rebrand you and call you the analogy boss. Cause I mean, you're spitting off analogies left and right. Right. And you're playing with words. So, I mean, is that something that you utilize when you're helping educate someone about finances? Are you using analogies and you're playing with wordplay to help them understand the theories and philosophies a lot easier? Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you can understand something really well, you can hopefully do it in a picture, mm. you know? And if you don't understand something really well, you're going to end up getting all bogged down into the technicals. And that's okay. Both are probably important. Uh, but yeah, if you can, like, like this idea of, of, um, of pictures, you know, if you, if you want to talk more about the debt, uh, you know, most business owners are trying to fly their airplane and they're trying to take off. And maybe your airplane can fly 100 miles an hour, let's say. All right. And so you, you, Take your, your airplane, you drive it down the runway, you lift off, you're going as hard as you can, 100 miles an hour is as hard as that engine can push. Unfortunately, you got a 300 mile an hour headwind coming right at you. Oh. Now, SA, I don't know about you, but I can do a little bit of math in my head, and 300 is more than 100. Yes, it is. Most of the time, anyway. <laughs> so, no matter how hard I'm pushing, I'm getting, I'm not moving toward my destination. I'm going the opposite direction at 200 miles an hour. And that's how most businesses live. We, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau, the average business owner spends about a third of their revenue servicing debt. A third of your revenue servicing debt. So if your 100 miles an hour is 100% of your revenue, but you're getting that kind of push against you, you're not going to be making much headwind or headway with your headwind. It's going to be pushing you in the opposite direction. Best thing we could probably do with that airplane is just land that silly thing, wait for the wind to die down or change direction. And the powerful thing here is you can refuel your tank while you're waiting and then wait for that wind to stop. Now, most people think that nil wind, you know, like no wind is as good as it gets. As fast as I can fly this little plane is 100 miles an hour, and that's as good as it gets. Most people think paying cash is the answer. You know, no longer just, you know, paying credit cards, finances, uh, lines of credit, mortgages on my business properties or my personal home or my student loans. They think, hey, if I could just pay cash for everything, I'd be king. Yeah. But I'm here to say no. Again, parity, right? Let's do something a little bit better than just paying cash. How can we use banking to our advantage? How can we get that tailwind behind us? What if you had a 100-mile-an-hour airplane and you had 300 miles pushing at your back mm -hmm. of wind? Now you're doing 400 miles an hour getting towards your destination. Okay, so that's a difference of, what is that, 700 miles an hour or something like that between the head and the tail? That's an incredible arbitrage. You know, if you can get that wind behind you, if you can use debt to your advantage, and I don't just mean borrowing from somebody else's bank, I literally mean... Find a way to become your own source of financing. 
because it will change how your airplane flies and it'll get you to your destination with a lot more certainty and confidence. So yeah, um, analogies, it paints a picture more so than rates of return or, you know, getting too, we got to get technical. We got to get into the weeds at some point, but you know, yeah, the, the picture of, of, uh, of a thing, I think speaks to the heart. So I think like, well, my next question, you know, still stemming off of that that analogy about the airplane and the tailwinds, right? So let's say your plane is going down the runway. It's 100 miles. And let's say you're going with, with the actual wind and you're, you're maximizing, creeping up on 400, but the tires blow out, right? Let's say, <laughs> let's say the, the landing gear falls off this plane and sparks start flying. So my question is, like, obviously you've done work with thousands of people. Has there ever been like that type of plane wreck or that train wreck on a runway that you're helping someone, you're pushing them, you're motivating them? Like what, what, what was that experience like? And what was the example that you would like to fill in the void with that? Mm. Well, yeah, life throws us curveballs, mm-hmm. sometimes two or three at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in fact, most of the time, um, that's the case. Uh, so I found anecdotally anyway. And yeah, having, having some repair attempts mm. and having some spare tires uh, and having a toolkit, you can repair that landing gear on the fly, forgive the pun there, mm. um, but you can fix that up if you packed provisions, mm. you know, if you've done the work of packing that plane, not with a bunch of junk, you know, I don't need a bunch of like, you know, San Pellegrino bottles and other, you know, cement bar, you know, cement and uh, quick energy bars. What I need in that airplane are all the provisions I'm going to need to survive if something goes haywire and it almost always does eventually. So yeah, great way to extend the analogy. I guess we could take any analogy to its limit, I suppose, but since you brought it up, yeah, most people have very little in the way of an emergency fund, Mm -hmm. have very little in the way of an opportunity fund. And I count those as two separate items. You know, Uh, most people might have, you know, a week, (laughs) a, a week or two of, of savings, you know, um, there's an old quote by Gloria Steinem. She says, uh, rich people plan for three generations and poor people plan for Saturday night. Mm. And I found that's the case. You know, if, if all you have is enough money to make it through Saturday night and the tire blows, uh, literally the tire on your car blows or this airplane metaphor, if life's tire blows mm-hmm. or your landing gear starts, starts uh, sparking a fire, man, you got to have some ready to go capital. And I'd mention too, you know, like not just for emergencies, but opportunities. What could you do? What could you take advantage of if you had a big pile of contingency cash, uh-huh. for any purpose, take you in any direction? I mean, SA, if you, if you had half a million bucks just sitting around waiting to, to be told what to do, how might that impact your business? I think it definitely as a listener, right? And if anyone has $500,000 sitting around and they're not actively engaging with that $500,000 or making investments or buying non-liabilities, obviously they need to get some counseling. They need to get some help for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and um, by the way, if you guys do have 500,000, call SA right away. He can tell you how to put that money to work. <laughs> Yeah, or, or obviously, I would then say recommend. You probably need to talk to Mark. Kind of talk about the <laughs> strategies behind the scene. I can help you with your marketing, your growth strategy. But obviously, if you got five hundred thousand dollars, like how could you really leverage that? Going back to your analogy earlier about becoming a bank. So let's dive into that. Like let's unpack that question a little bit. Like so, someone's hearing you saying become your own bank, and it's an analogy, but it's also it's real, right? So with banks, you have to pay back loans, right? You have to pay back interest. 
So are you talking about maybe someone having capital and they're paying themselves back interest? Like how would they stage that self-banking? And yeah, um, so it's it's a cool concept, cool mindset to be your own banker. It sounds cool. Sounds like something we could put on our bathroom mirror, you know, um, kind of give us get us revved up for the day. You know, it's a cool mantra. But you also need not just a mindset, you need a practice and a skill set and tactics that really matter in the real world. Uh, you know, it didn't just didn't just happen that Jim Carrey writes to himself, you know, ten million dollars on a check for acting services rendered. Jim Carrey didn't just write that check. He had to get out there and write real contracts with real people and sign real deals and make real movies to get that 10 million in his bank account. And the same is true here. We got to have real strategies that are real contracts. Uh, and, and that's the word that right there, the contract. The contract is really where it counts. Uh, there's kind of two classes of financial vehicles that I found. When I was getting my certified financial planner designation as a, I, I was really struck by um, there's kind of two types of financial vehicles out there. There's um, there's paper wealth, and then there's contract wealth. Okay, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day uh, over the phone. We were talking, and uh, like I do with most folks, we're having a financial analysis, and he's telling me about his real estate empire. And for him, you know, micro empire. He's got like ten properties, all of them paid off. Okay, he's got all of his wealth inside these ten real estate deals, and they're all cash flowing. He's going to get about 200 grand this year in rent. Nice. Uh, that's not bad. Not bad. And we were just talking about how cool that is. And I, I said to him, well, hey, you know, just out of curiosity um, and to sort of play with him a little bit, I said, well, hey, um, what would happen if, you know, you're, you know, if you didn't have a, a title or a deed on those properties? And let's say that you didn't have a lease contract with your tenants. You know, you had no written agreement with anybody. Um, what would happen to those properties? Who really owns those properties if you don't have any kind of written agreement? And he said to him, he said to me, Mark, you know, if, if I didn't have a written agreement, all I have is squatters' rights. Uh, and that's the truth, you know. So real estate is a contract. It's not bricks and mortar. You know, even though we love being able to tangibly touch that house or that apartment building, it's built into the contract. And without a contract, we don't have much of civilization. So I like building real wealth as opposed to paper wealth, which is stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, things that make you feel great one day and feel terrible the next. You know, it's an emotional roller coaster. So what I found are contracts are really the basis of human civilization, and they can really build on a financial plan that can go real practical really fast. Uh, so your question about banking. Banks are some of the oldest industries. If, if your audience is still trying to figure out like what to do with their life <laughs> or what business to run, guys, start a bank because they are the most profitable business uh, in human history. There's a book by David Graeber. Uh, the book is uh, Debt, the First 5,000 Years. Oh. Let that sink in for a minute. The first 5,000 years. <laughs> so <laughs> debt's going to be around for a while. Banks are about as old uh, as artwork or music or, you know, cave paintings, they're as old as, as it gets when it comes to human civilization. So the question really is, whose side of the banker's desk are you sitting on? Because we're already in the banking business. We're just sitting on the wrong side of the banker's desk. Mm -hmm. So how could we become a bank like the ones we know about? How could we become the bank? Again, judo, right? Uh, martial arts. How can we not just 
avoid the banking business, but how can we actually use the banking function to become a banker for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And of all things in the financial universe, a tool that I kind of stumbled across, um, of all things, was a modernized form of whole life insurance. Strangely enough, if it's designed properly, not for the death benefit as much as the cash value, the living benefit, the money you can spend on this side of the grass, if you've built that thing correctly with an advisor who did it right for you, it does some really interesting things, SA, that really builds cash and can be used like a bank. Um, If you want, I can do a quick tour of what that tool can do, but how it's helped me and help some of my clients. Well, I'm uh, thinking about it because you know, you know, obviously, I've I've had active insurance licenses in multiple different states, and I understand the philosophy between whole life and, yeah. and term life, right? So, in 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 one side of that spectrum, people are always uniquely taught to buy what you need, save the extra, and invest the difference. Yes. Okay. So on the other side of the coin, you're, you're talking about merging those two worlds together. You're talking about get what you need and also use that capital that's being invested on a monthly basis as extra capital to utilize for something else. So to answer your question, I was like, definitely, let's, die, let's unpack that a little bit. Because again, there's two sides, two different philosophies in the financial world. Oh, big time. Yeah. Oh, and um, you know, as a Dave Ramsey fanboy from a long time ago, that's what I, I got drilled into me every day. Mm. Um, Primerica, Ale Williams, the whole bit, um, that's where buy term insurance and invest the rest came from. No one knows what the rest is. They just know they're supposed to invest the rest. What ends up happening uh, is you buy term insurance and then you use the rest at the grocery store or at the restaurants. That's typically how that ends up, right? Most people. But what we're doing is we're flipping it on its head. Mm-hmm. We're not using life insurance for the life insurance, although that's certainly there. What we're doing is we're cutting the expenses of the life insurance down by about 70%, cutting the commissions down by about 70%. And we're flooding that policy with liquid equity, money, wealth, money you get to spend rather than your heirs mm-hmm. get to spend. Uh, so it's building up a cash value, which is cash value is, is sort of like equity in a house. So mm-hmm. You know, back to term insurance and whole life insurance, and then how does this fit into banking? Term insurance is like renting for a while, and you can rent an apartment, and there's nothing wrong with renting, and everyone should probably have a season in their life where they do rent. But the landlord will start to raise the rent on you the longer you stay there. The stuff gets less and less valuable. You know, the water heater starts breaking, whatever. And you have no equity that you're building up in that term insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And in fact, 99% of term insurance never pays out. It expires. Uh, so on the other side of the uh, equation is whole life insurance, which is more like owning uh, owning a house where the house payment never goes up. It stays mm-hmm. flat so it gets easier to pay with inflation. You're building up wealth inside your house you know, called equity. Uh, and unlike a house, however, whole life insurance grows guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Nothing guaranteed about a house. So... I'll say this in four quick little statements, TGIF, just to keep it real simple for folks. Whole life insurance, if it's designed the bank on yourself way, it can do four things. T stands for tax-free access to the cash. If we design this thing correctly, it's going to have massive cash value and you have access to it with no taxes due 
The tax law says you can get the money out of the policy, both principal and gains can be accessed totally tax-free. So it's like a Roth IRA without any restrictions like Roth IRAs have. Mm -hmm. No income phase out, no contribution limit. You don't have to wait till you're 59 and a half. You could put the money in this month and have access to the cash value next month. That's pretty cool right there. Uh, the G in TGIF stands for guarantees. It's built on a system of guarantees. Unlike the stock market, real estate market, whatever else, um, it grows on a guaranteed basis every single year. The cash value is more this year than you had last year guaranteed. It's not my guarantee. You know, thank goodness. Who am I, right? It's the insurance company's guarantee. They've been around for over 100 years. They've never missed a guarantee in their promises. That's why they're still in business for over a century. So I just like mind blown when I say that because they've, they've been through multiple pandemics at this point. That's how old these companies are. So uh, third option or the third piece on the TGIF, I stands for insurance and it's insurance. So we've got access to that money uh, for my family if I do pass away, which is awesome. And then financing. Guys, we're already in the banking business as mentioned. But when you borrow from one of these policies, you're able to borrow the cash against the policy. But when I do that, magically, it continues to grow and compound as if I had not borrowed the money. So let's say I got a hundred grand in cash value. And let's say I want to go buy a car. Mm -hmm. Well, I got a couple options. I can use a regular banker down the street and pay him some interest. Don't like that. Or I can pay cash for the car. I don't like that either because now I've lost whatever interest I would have earned on that money. If I just withdraw it from my savings account, it earns me nothing, you know, once I withdraw it. Or I can borrow from my policy. And again, I've got a hundred grand in there. I borrow against that hundred grand, go pay cash for the car, but my policy still continues to pay me a full guaranteed interest and dividend on the entire 100,000 bucks as if I had not touched the money. So to me, that solves the biggest problem in our financial life, which is we keep breaking compound growth. We either pay cash, which is a big problem because we keep breaking compound growth, or we're paying compound growth to the bank down the street. Neither of those, as they, helps us grow our future. It's helping somebody else's bank. So again, headwind, tailwind. Let's uh -huh. go from the headwind coming right at us, paying interest to banks, not just waiting until the wind dies down, that's paying cash for things, but let's get the bank's function at our back. And now we can really make some real profit. We can pay ourselves the interest. We would have paid the bank down the street. Gotcha. So I, anyone that has listened to this episode right now, I mean, I think Mark single-handedly just made insurance sexy again, right? I mean, he... he, he <laughs> I still got all... <laughs> Sorry, so, I'm already married, guys. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So no, I just, I just want to kind of like, if you, if you listen to the, what he was saying, right, in comparison to like term and in comparison to the whole and in comparison to the bank, essentially in the simplest way of transforming what he said is utilizing a whole policy as a banking system to leverage the capital that's already sitting there, taking that money out to make your purchases and still having that whole policy grow using compound interest. It's like the best of both worlds. I'm surprised it's not illegal, but, but, but by defining it that way, again, I think he definitely makes it very sexy. And it's kind of one of those things you kind of have to stop and like, Think about it. You have to really recap and re-listen to what he said. And then the next part is like, ask questions, take action on that, like dive into it. Just don't listen to this podcast and then, then don't go do anything about it. Amen, um, man. 
Yeah. So going into the next question, I mean, obviously you're a wealth of knowledge, right? You have all this information and someone's listening to this podcast and they're just like, who's this guy, Mark? Where did he come from? He's just overnight success. But in reality, how long did it take you to get to where you are currently right now? Well, I'm, uh, you know, every breath I'm taking, I guess I'm a little bit older. As they say, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The more you use it, the faster it goes. Uh, and, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it's one of those uh, overnight success stories that happened over 30 plus years, I guess. But no, I'm still growing. We're all still growing, you know, never feel like you've arrived. Um, it's just you find, you find right mentors. You know this very well. You know, you find people who can blow your mind. Uh, people who can give you a new way of thinking mm-hmm. and and a new way of living, even more importantly. And then you just keep working one step at a time. Yeah. So if you had to put like a date on it, are you more of the 20-year conversion, 10-year? Like how long have you been in this space oh. to get to where you are? Sure. Okay. So I was uh, definitely a Dave Ramsey fanboy when we graduated college. That was in 2008. Okay. And then um, I remember it was a um, kind of an aha moment when a mentor or mine. He's just a college professor, you know. He didn't have any skin in the game. But I think he saw that we were so stressed about our student loan debt. And he came to me and he said, well, Mark, is it possible? Is it possible Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? Hmm. And I had never let that even cross my mind. For me, you know, Dave Ramsey was sort of akin to writing the fifth gospel. Hmm. You know, there was just, it was just clear to me that everything he said was like speaking from Mount Sinai, you know. But no, honestly, um, we had to come to terms with the fact that we had not thought critically, hadn't, had, hadn't done critical thinking with our, our, uh, the voices on the radio. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the voice on the radio doesn't always know you personally. And I'll mention this too, guys. You know, don't, don't, just, take, don't just go start a whole life policy just because you heard it on even this episode. Mm-hmm. I would say very clearly, there's 400, over 400,000 life insurance agents in the United States. That's one for every 800 Americans. So not all of those insurance agents know what we're even talking about right now. By a long shot, right? Maybe 90% of them have no clue. They're still thinking about life insurance as death insurance, uh, as some people call it. So again, if you want to do this right, you got to make sure you're listening and acting with mentors that understand and know who you are and what your needs are, what you're trying to accomplish. Because again, it's not a perfect fit for everybody, even this cool strategy is not something I just recommend everybody run out and go do. But you want to sit down and talk with the right experts and know who influences you and, and the, make, make sure, of course, that they've got your best interests at heart. Yeah, I think in addition to that, I mean, I think the numbers are probably even more extreme than that. You're, you're talking about 90%. But even within that margin of, of insurance agents, majority of them don't even have access to whole policy. Some of them are term yeah. only. So yeah, like that yeah. number even becomes even more extreme. And then it's part of like, what kind of whole policy? Is it like universal? Is it, you know, so you kind of want to like, look at that number as even a more a smaller percentage, probably yeah. like a 1% of, of a 5% yeah. of insurance agents that even know what the hell you're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I'll tell you, I mean, we'd, I'd be happy to chat with folks if they just want to jump to me. But if you want to do some research on this, there's a, a class a classification and a certification known as bank on yourself professionals. And that's a financial credential. You know, there's hundreds of credentials out there. Um, You know, certified financial planner is one that I went through. It took me a few years, but I'd say along with the CFP designation, nothing was as hard for me to attain as the bank on yourself professionals designation. There's about 200 of us in the United States and Canada. And they, that's sort of like the USDA organic label, you know, um, 
you may not know all of the 30 hoops your organic food had to jump through to get that label, mm -hmm. but you just see the label and you know, okay, that's got all the things I want in my food, whatever. And the same is true with bank on yourself. You may not know the 30 things that we need your policy to be engineered in, what company to use, make sure it's mutually owned, make sure there's non-direct loans on the policy. All you might really need to look for is in their email signature, did the insurance or financial advisor, does he have the word, he or she have the words bank on yourself in, in their, nice. in their you know, email signature. So that's, that's just a simple way you can look to see if this thing's being done right for you. Wow. So dropping even more insight and information. So let's just go back to your analogy of flying a plane, right? And let's say we're taking up the speed numbers, right? We're going past the speed of light, which allows us to essentially travel back in time. Right? Yeah. If you can go back, and I'm not going to say you're going to go back and change everything, but if you can go back and whisper in your ears at a younger age, like what would you tell yourself to do differently? Uh, man, don't listen to the man on the street arithmetic. And I'll say person on the street, I guess, but you know, you don't listen to the average advice. So case in point, I, I really bought the fact that you could just fall off a horse and get 12% a year in the stock market. I bought that. I bought it, you know, hook, line and sinker. So if I could go back and, and just give a, I'll share this with your audience. Maybe it'll be a kind of a wake up call to them. Let's say, let's say, for example, as say that, that you invest $10,000 into my special magical mutual fund, mm -hmm. 10,000 bucks. You give me 10,000 bucks and I do a wonderful job. And here it is the first year I make, I double your money, double your money. So your 10 grand went up all the way to $20,000. Mm -hmm. Still, still with me on all this so far. Mm -hmm. All right. Then year two, we start with 20 grand, but oops, I lost you half of your money. Yeah. 20 grand goes back down to 10. Now we're two years later. Do you feel any wealthier? Oh, technically you're not. <laughs> yeah, technically no. Yeah. Um, you started with 10 grand, you ended with 10 grand, but we just gave you a 25% average rate of return. Mm. You, you went up 100, you came down 50, you divide that by two years, that's 25%. Guess what? I get to advertise that. I get to tell the world that I just got you, I can't say your name, but I can say, hey, my clients got 25% over the last two years. Mutual funds, are allowed to av advertise average rates of return. It's a myth. It's a myth. The real return was 0%, right? So one of the things I'd go back in time and, and try to convince myself of is do the math, you know? Don't just take their word for it. Learn and ask yourself, and maybe this is me talking to my former self here too, figure out what you want your money doing for you. Because where you put your money makes it act different. And if it's in a 401k or if it's in a hedge fund or if it's in a non-fungible token or if it's in Bitcoin or if it's in an annuity, it's all going to act different. And that's okay, real estate, whatever. It's all different. And there's no right or wrong. Every, per, uh, every financial vehicle has a purpose. Uh -huh. But ask yourself, do it, does where my money lives right now align with my values? And is it helping me accomplish my goals? If, all my, if I've got a business I'm trying to start, I'm selling widgets or cupcakes or something, but all my money is tied up into an ETF fund over here that doesn't mature until 2040 or something, um, then I've got, I've got conflicting interests. You know, I'm acting against my beliefs. I don't really believe my business is going to thrive if all my wealth is over here in this you know, exchange-traded fund 
or an annuity or something else that doesn't align with my values. So point being, figure out what you want your money doing for you and let that money leverage, leverage that money to move closer toward your goal. Starting your business, sending your kid to college, paying off your debt, whatever your goal is. Uh, so let that money align with your values. Too many of us don't do that, which is okay. I mean, I, I want a six pack, but I also really love ice cream. I, I work against my beliefs all the time. <laughs> but realizing that and then making steps toward like figuring out what you want your money doing for you might be a 25 minute brainstorming. I'd be happy to do that with folks, uh, but it might be 15, 20 minutes on a journal. And, and you save yourself a world of hurt. You know, either you're going to tell your money what to do or other people are going to tell you what you need to do with your money. And then that puts them in the driver's seat, not you. Yeah. Yeah. And it also gives them an advantage to make wealth on top of your wealth that you didn't even know existed. That's it, so, man. Yeah. So going into like another question, I mean, obviously your, your, your entrepreneurial side is very business savvy. You went through the training, but you know, it kind of makes me want to ask you the question, like, did that come from like, like a predecessor or a family member like are do are there any entrepreneurs in your family while you were growing up oh man I, I love love thinking back over some of this you know and I think all of us could look back and figure out where the entrepreneurial bug first bit us mm -hmm. and yeah I guess you know if we dug into other family members mm -hmm. uh, there there were some other family members that tried it out um, try and fail sometimes but try again you know I think I don't know if this would be the case with most business owners, but one parent of mine was kind of the day job, nine to fiver. The other was the, you know, serial entrepreneur. Um, but I remember, I really remember the moment when the bug really hit me or bit me. It was, it was walking down Michigan Avenue, you know, debt on my back, trying to figure out how we were going to pay the bills that month. Um, income was dwindling after college. They weren't exactly hiring folks with my degree or my wife's degree at the time in 2008. And I was walking into, you know, getting denied from Chase Bank and, and other bank teller jobs and whatever. Uh, and and uh, I just really remember thinking, do I want one boss or do I want a thousand bosses? You know, all of which I could fire one or two of, and not feel a thing. And it was my wife really that, you know, kind of pulled on my earlobe and said, let's do this thing. We can do this. Uh, so she really gave me the, the nitrous oxide to, to, to let that plane start running down the runway. Uh, and I'll, uh, to, to, to make that metaphor even more complete, airplanes are not efficient in the first, first mile or two or, or, or even half the journey, really. I mean, if you think about it, starting a business is one of the most risky and inefficient things you can do with your finances. Mm -hmm. And just like that, I, I wouldn't recommend flying your airplane to the grocery store today. You know, it's just not efficient. Get in your car or take a bike or whatever, but don't fly your airplane to the grocery store. However, if you want to go long distance, if you want to go long range, the airplane will fly in a perfect straight line directly to your destination. But a car, it's got to go up and down and left and right and north and south and stop at this red light and pull over for this gas station. That's a very, vol a very inefficient way to get across the country. And just like that, you know, um, the, the business and the entrepreneurial spirit takes some time to get going. But if you've packed your provisions, you know, you got your back, uh, you get your backstop, you got your spare tire, et cetera. And you've got the cash on hand for any emergency that might come up. 
then you start really start you really start becoming more and more efficient. An airplane gets more efficient every mile it flies because it's burning fuel behind it and it's overcoming inertia. Uh, so again, if you can find ways to to become your own boss and to become your own banker and to take back the functions that have been outsourced by too many of us into your life or your business, one step at a time, you figure out, hey, I can do this thing. I can become a little bit better at this money thing, or I'm not, I'm not afraid of this money thing anymore. And it becomes fun. And yeah, I'll use your word, man, sexy. <laughs> definitely. So I, I think that's definitely solid insight, solid information. And you know, I think in this episode, you brought up your wife a couple of times, and it seems like you guys had a joint journey, uh, and you guys got graduated at the same time and she's in your left ear saying okay we can do it so my next question is, is based upon that like you know how do you currently juggle like your work life with your family life uh well <clears throat> sometimes the balls fall down i'll just mm -hmm. be clear about that um but i'll say one thing that i've really found for me it's a personality thing oh. but there's this book that i use some people might also know about it. it's called the full focus planner it's a really cool little journal, a little different than your typical like reflect on your feelings. Although I've, I do try, I try to write some of that down in here as well. But what I really like about this journal is that it's got these different domains in your life, mm -hmm. and you can set a goal. I'm a, a kind of I'm kind of a goal geek, so forgive me if that's not your cup of tea. But um, every domain in your life, I've got here: spiritual, parent, intellectual, social, emotional business, physical, marital, financial. So maybe put yourself down for a goal on at least a half a dozen of those every quarter, uh -huh. every year at least. So you've got a marriage goal, you know, uh, there's no revenue in your marriage, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> unless it's that kind of marriage, you know, hopefully not. But um, put yourself in this in the mindset that this is a a goal that you are just going to be as passionate about as you are with your business, which is has very acute feedback. You know, your business, you know, every week, every month, every phone call, if you're winning or losing. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot more of a slow burn with your children mm -hmm. or your friends uh, or your marriage. And I'm certainly not an expert on this, still learning, failing, but find a little way for you to, to know the, the mile markers. Figure out if you're moving in the right direction or the wrong direction. Gotcha. Gotcha. Definitely insightful. And just playing off of, of what you said, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're giving money back to a marriage and we're talking going back to the Sally Maine, if you're giving her alimony, you're going to have to figure out how to make that <laughs> cut those ties as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you're very structured, you're very analytical, but you're also very creative. So like, what, what does your morning routines, your morning regimen look like? Well, it always, you know, it, you got to keep asking, is this still working for me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so don't take my stuff as just some sort of, you know, cut and paste recipe, but I love my mornings right now. It's been a lot of fun. I get a lot of joy out of the time I spend. I'm kind of an early morning dude. Uh, and so, you know, fireworks, we're recording this right after the 4th of July here, guys. So, um, fireworks last night, uh, I was like, okay, I'll see you guys in the morning. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had, a, I have a great morning routine. I get up, you know, read some scripture, do some journaling, uh, pour myself some coffee, uh, get, try to get done more before the sun comes up than 
than uh, what most people can do in a day if I can help it. Uh, and then, yeah, I try to work out six days out of, out of the week and spend some time with my daughter, my wife, uh, have a little time with them. And it, it works right now, you know, until it stops working, then be ready to change and pivot, you know, like most things in life. Wow. Wow. So going into that, right? I mean, the next part, the next question that I have, and I've been looking at this bookcase and for those that are listening, like he has this bookcase behind him and it's showcasing books. And you guys know as much as I love books is the reason why I created the Boston Cage Book Club. So this next question is a three-part question, right? And you can turn around Mm -hmm. and reach to that bookshelf whenever you're ready. First part is what books helped you on your journey to get you to where you are? The second question is what books are you actively reading right now? And the third part is, have you had an opportunity to write any books? Oh, okay. Uh, so the first book I'll mention, and maybe relevant to our topic today, there's tons of books that influence you over your lifetime. You know, what, what's the old qu- uh, quote? It's, uh, creativity is just forgetting your sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll try to remember at least a few sources here, but there's a great book out there. Uh, it's right behind me, actually, The Bank on Yourself Revolution. Great book for a mindset shift on how money flows and how it really works, how the wealthy are using mm-hmm. uh, the banking function in their life. So check out The Bank on Yourself Revolution by Pamela Yellen. A uh, book I'm reading right now that's been absolutely blowing my mind is The Road Less Stupid by mm-hmm. Keith Cunningham. Great book on business consulting and just you know, not being stupid, uh, which I have a, a, a seem, seemingly a warrant to do too often in my business. And then uh, a book I'm really... Um, uh, thankful I got to co-author is a book called How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. Nice. Uh, it was a book uh, book on this topic of firing your banker and becoming your own source of financing uh, nice. through the lens of e-commerce business owners. So a lot of folks who are just blowing it up online right now in a good way. Um, how can you run your inventory through your bank rather than somebody else's? How could you run your taxes through your bank rather than somebody else's? How can you set up a golden parachute out of your business someday so that you've got a large pool of contingency cash mm-hmm. for when, when you sell your business or when it finally is time to retire the business so you don't just have all your net worth tied up in the business? Mm-hmm. So there was a book about that, How to Be an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. I got the privilege to write that with uh, Danny Stock about a year or two ago. And, and by the way, I'd be happy to give that book for free to anybody who reaches out if they're uh, of interest and want to learn more about that topic. Well, you got you got your first contestant standing up to the show right here. So uh, obviously, I love reading books, and just uh, the list of books that you just lift off, including your book, is definitely something that I would definitely like to recommend for for the book club. And and having access to to your book would definitely be fruitful. Thank you. So, I'd be happy. Happy to. Great. great. So. With that, I mean, you're talking about legacy, you're talking about building wealth, you're talking about not only building wealth, you're talking about managing the wealth. So ideally, you have a strategy for yourself and for your family. So where do you see yourself 20 years from today? Man, well, you're right. And and I, I got to say this, um, not your average financial planner means that because I have had the opportunity or privilege uh, it's a humble honor to get to meet with people all over the world uh, and look into their finances to ask humbly about their, you know, what concerns them, how, you know, how's their retirement account coming. I will tell you, almost to a T, uh, the investment advisors, because I still, I meet with investment advisors and financial planners to to look at their stuff too, to look at their retirement plans. And 
I can't tell you, I, I can't think of a single example where they were eating their own cooking, um, wow. where they had their money in the same stuff that they were advising their clients to put their money into. So that's a, maybe a side note or a little extra goodie here for your audience. When you're interviewing an, an, a financial planner or investment advisor or whatever they call themselves, ask them, what's in your portfolio? Mm-hmm. Just ask them that question, see what they say. And may I see your account, account sheets? I'm showing you mine. You show me yours. So that's mm-hmm. just a side note or an extra credit. Um, to answer your question, 20 years from now, again, thank God, my wife and I sat down about 10, 12 years ago, and we said, we want to write a contract with our future. So we set up we set up a number of these whole life policies for ourselves, you know, on ourselves, on our other family members. We built this portfolio that grow on a guaranteed basis. And just over the weekend, I was looking at that. I don't do it too often, maybe two or three times a year. I was looking at the portfolio, how it's coming along. And I can see when my daughter's going to be 18 years old, here's exactly what our net worth is going to be inside those accounts, guaranteed. How cool is that, Right. And so in 20 years, we're going to be empty nesters likely, Lord willing, and we'll have the chance to be doing some pretty cool stuff, hopefully for uh, the, the betterment of our little circle of concern and the, the larger hum, human project that we're all on here. Uh, so, you know, it's at, at small or large. I think the best thing I can say is that I want to be uh, further along on this journey of, of being able to communicate well with other people to help them think different about their money, their own private personal economy. And their future. I, I think, you know, yes, we can vote. Yes, we can influence things at that scale. But man, the real change happens at the you and me level. Uh, and I'd, I'd love to be a part of that solution. In fact, wouldn't it be cool? And this is written on one of my mission boards is what if we could not not through my efforts alone, but what if we as a as a collective could change 10% of America? What if 10% of America had their own personal financial system? their own bank? What if they were doing this banking thing I've been describing? If just 10% of America became their own source of financing, what would happen to credit cards? What would happen to the Federal Reserve? What would happen to banks? What would happen to Sally Mae and her cronies? You know, How many more marriages might we save? How many more kids could go to college? If we were our own banker, the whole world would change if just 10% of America did it. So that's me in 20 years is still working on that project, still beating that drum. Yeah, I mean, even with that, I think with that plan of strategy, I think that some of that equity that you're saving up, you're going to have to buy security because I think the government may be looking looking for you at that point in time because you're talking about essentially upsetting the current status quo of the economy in today's world. And, and that's what bankers and the government are utilizing to self-perpetuate the money that they have in the system right now. So with that, I mean, it just kind of like that opens a whole nother Pandora's box, right? I mean, is that something that you really want to go down that road and kind of see what happens? Or do you have a strategy to support that, that fallout as well? Well, the, the word that I absolutely don't want on my gravestone is the word potential. Potential is a great word. It sounds so cool. You know, he has such potential, but a rocket on a launch pad has potential. Uh A rocket on a launch pad has tons of Rocket fuel, potential, mm-hmm. take you off into space. But if 30 years later, that rocket is still just sitting there, mm-hmm. that's regret right there. That's regret embodied. And so the worst word on my gravestone is the word potential. So if I can spend it, if I can spend it, 
you know, I don't, I don't mean to pick a fight with the largest military operation in human history or anything, <laughs> but Hey, why not give it a shot? Yeah. If nothing else, at least we fail and we get 9% of America to become their own banker, you know? Uh, so that's okay too. And yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, it's definitely something that has unintended consequences, uh, but better to be a part of that revolution mm-hmm. than to be a, a, a tennis ball floating down life's gutter. Uh, and ending up where somebody else wants me to be as opposed to where I'd love to be, if if possible. Nice, nice. So, I mean, with that, I mean, still talking about legacy, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why I created, like, my podcast was to leave behind, like, my voice and, and my yeah. reasoning and my thoughts for my family and for other business owners. And I wanted to commend breadcrumbs. you because I mean, you're doing breadcrumbs, right? You're doing the same thing. I mean, you just released your 200 episode, right? You're, you know, obviously kind of like I'm in that tracking stage of, like, my podcast and, you know, We've been blessed to be in the top one one point five percent of podcasting. So I looked yours up, and there it is. You're right there with us as well. But you have two hundred episodes. So I just want to talk about like like why did you get into the journey of podcasting? Being that you're so influential with numbers and you understand numbers so well, what made you go into the communication space? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how easy is it to do? We've been doing a little math on this show. Mm-hmm. How fun is it to try to do math and numbers over a podcast? It's not exactly uh, you know. Maybe it's maybe it's a um, a secret way for me to avoid having to do a bunch of complicated spreadsheets. But uh-huh. if you'll if you'll go to our show, we've got about two or three dozen of our episodes jam packed full of spreadsheets in the show notes. So I I, I actually love spreadsheets as as a as a default. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but anyway, I'd, I'd say yeah, just commitment. I mean, you know this mm-hmm. better than me that it's it's long persistence in the same direction. Long persistence in the same direction. And deciding, hey, you know, podcasting seems like it's a, a cool medium, uh-huh. and I have a face for radio, so let's give this thing a try. Uh, so it for me has been a lot of fun, and, and as you know, it can be a, a great deal of fun. And and uh, unfortunately, folks are recording these on video, putting them on YouTube. So forgive me, but uh, you know, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. How has it been for you? I mean, you've you've made this decision, podcasting as a as a medium and as a business uh-huh. model. What's it been like for you? I mean, it, it's one of those life-changing events that I wish I would have got on the bandwagon earlier, especially since I was always into media, but I was in the global media. So niching down to podcasting, it kind of, it fulfilled all my requirements 10 times easier, 10 times faster with a lot of dedication to support it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep up the great work. I love what you're doing. And uh, it, I love that you're leaving breadcrumbs. I mean, aren't we just living in the future where we can even yeah. have this conversation not only with each other over mm-hmm. over the internet like this, but to be able to have this conversation with so many others listening, and mm-hmm. also for our families, posterity, and and more, it's yeah. a it's a great gift, and I hope we don't squat you know squander it. You know, it's a it's an opportunity to change our family tree for generations. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So going into, I'm just I'm just trying to think. There's like so many different questions I could ask you, right? And I mean, time is limited, but tools, right? software like what what tool do you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without well uh, let's just go ahead and put excel aside uh, because that's basically yeah uh, that that runs all the time on my computer Uh, you know i've been really a big fan of some of these web automation tools Um, i'm a big fan of zapier you probably know zapier it's a fun little tool uh, and uh, I, I like um, Text Expander. That's been a fun one too. Uh, I read the other day; it saved me, um, <clears throat> it saved me ten hours of r- typing time last month. So that's a full day and a half almost of my work. Uh, wow. Just I got that time back, you know. 
So um, text expander is a great tool too. What about yourself? Tell me something. I, I love this stuff too. So what do you find? Yeah. Uh, what I've been really falling in love with lately is the headliner tool and it's, headliner. A, it's a headliner, right? And in addition yeah. to headliner is Copysmith and Copysmith is kind of like a new underdog on the market that uses the AI to kind of artificially write content. But I love it because I could write content and I could run it through Copysmith and it could rewrite my content for me in a different paratext, in a different phrasing. So I end up with two types of copy that I could utilize in two different market sectors. Wow. Now now you got my attention, man. That's awesome. Yep, yep, yep. So thinking about it, right? Let's say I'm in my early 30s or let's say I'm, I'm in my late 50s and I'm listening to this podcast and I'm hearing all this insight. I'm hearing about whole life. I can use my whole life as a bank. I got to figure this thing out. What words of wisdom would you give to an individual that's eating up everything that you're saying on this podcast? How would you influence them to move forward to the next steps? Well, you know, again, ask yourself, what's the one thing I can do with my money mm. such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. Mm. I'll say that again. What's the one thing I can do with my money such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. Let that sink in for a minute. Where your money lives will either improve your answer to that question or will make it harder. Again, I can't get past most people have their money tied up in their house and their 401k. Why? Because they've been told to, because that's what they were handed when they got their day job. Here's your 401k binder, sign here, sign here. Go sit in that cubicle we'll see you in 40 years. That's not the life I want you guys to live. What's the one thing you can do with your money right now, today, this moment, such that by doing it, everything else becomes either easier or unnecessary. If your money is in a whole life insurance policy designed the bank on yourself way, that's crucial. If it's designed the bank on yourself way, it's unnecessary to have to worry about what the stock market's doing. I don't even know what the, the stock market's doing today. You know, maybe it's off today with the holiday. Who knows? It doesn't matter. My money is locked in and guaranteed to grow for me every single year. Do I have to worry about calling up a bank and getting approved for a loan? No, I don't. It's unnecessary. You know, retirement is easier and saving or investing in the stock market is unnecessary. Do I still do it? Sure. I've got a little money here and there. Have a little fun. But, you know, by putting your money in something that makes the rest of your life easier, it's just going to make uh, for a better outcome. Uh, it makes for a more sane life. Uh, think about it. If, if you're stressing over the stock market now, what's it going to be like when you're 55 and you're stressing? What's it going to be like when you're 65, you're no longer working and the market crashes? Because you still got to pull money out of that IRA for groceries and the grandkids and the market's crashing, we call that double pain, yeah. right? So, you know, if you want to think about easier or unnecessary, decide now where you want your money to live. And whether you're 35 or 55 or any age, it's not too late. You know, these whole life policies, they're not designed with the death benefit as the primary focus, although that's there. Again, you can be 70 years old and still start one of these policies. You just had someone do that last week. Oh. So they're in their mid 70s, just starting a brand new policy. And they don't have a ton of time to waste, so they just dumped it all in as one lump sum. 300 grand, boom. It's all in the policy, ready to rock and roll. And it instantly creates a legacy for their family. It instantly creates multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars that they're going to use for real estate investing. And, of course, um, takes care of them in their older age as well. So, nice. yeah. You know, just, so. just decide for yourself what's, what, what you can do with your money so that the rest of your life is financially more solvent, easier, or unnecessary. So, I mean, with all that insight that you just 
developed and, and dropped on 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 the listener like how can they get in contact with you like how, how do they find you on on the wide web well you guys can definitely check out our podcast not your average financial podcast it's been a lot of fun um and love to to you know date you first there if you'd like mm-hmm. if you want to find us or meet with me happy to chat i offer a 15 minute consultation and I'd be honored to send you the book, uh, the How to Be a uh, Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker uh, as a result of that. So you can go to bit.ly slash quick, B-O-Y, stands for bank on yourself. So the, the link is bit.ly slash quick, B-O-Y. And that'll get nice. you to everything you need. Right, right. So going into the bonus round, right? And I always like these questions because... I know that your answers are going to be uniquely different to anyone else's, right? So first question is outside of your family, outside of your direct and, and immediate family, what is your greatest achievement to date? Oh, wow. Um, the greatest achievement, uh, you know, I think the, the, hmm, I really do feel like the, the, the moments when you can say to yourself, all right, I actually had an actual thought mm-hmm. <laughs> and decided to act on that thought, uh, that's where I feel like achievement really happens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's an old quote, um, 20% of people think, another 20% of us think that we think, and the rest of us would rather die than think. Mm. And most of my life, I probably was in that last pool there. But it's in those moments where I was actually thinking and crucially took action mm. um, when I realized Dave Ramsey might be wrong about this whole life thing. And, and, and I took action to set up some policies and pay off my debt. That's where I'm most proud of uh, achievements, whatever small they might be. Interesting. Definitely very interesting. So going to the next question, and, and, and again, I mean, I, you said Dave Ramsey a couple of times, but I have a feeling it's not going to be him. So if you could spend 24 hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for that 24 hours, mano y mano, who would it be and why? Man, um, Rockefeller, can I say John D? Good, good old John D. Um, he is still uh, adjusted for inflation by far the wealthiest person in America anyway that's ever lived by far um so what did he do well he took all the the sludge that the rest of the kerosene industry wasn't able to use um or, or and and coal and so forth and turn it into kerosene which lit, lit America before electricity he then took the sludge from that and turned it into Vaseline and 15 other different inventions that we all take for granted today. He made the world much more um, uh, efficient, whatever, beautiful, whatever, uh, you know, uh, clean, whatever. And yeah, he's got his faults. But one thing I I feel like he really got right was he didn't just do that. He lived well beneath, beneath his means and he set up a foundation, a family foundation for his whole family. And by the way, not to harp on this, but he started a whole life policy on all of his kids, grandkids, everybody. And even to this day, the Rockefellers are still the, some of the wealthiest in, in, the, in the world. Uh, and they still start policies on each one of their kids and grandkids as they're born. But what I just would love to do is sit down with him and understand how he got that kind of mindset. He didn't come from wealth, you know, uh, but he took... He took so um, he took what other people were willing to throw away and turn it into something that was extremely valuable, and that that intrigues me. 
Yeah, definitely. I definitely he's one he's one of my all top favorites as well, too. I think one of his philosophies about understanding that you can execute things by yourself or you could have your efforts executed by hundreds of people. Right. So mm, the one yep. percent of one hundred people equals one hundred percent of your own efforts. And like just under if you have to really like rewind that and listen to it, you like really take that apart. And he lived by that philosophy, and hence why he's as wealthy as he is until this day, like you said, because he's executed that philosophy. Can you say that philosophy one more time? Uh, so it's essentially, instead of doing 100% of the work on your own efforts, is to utilize 100 people's efforts at 1%. Yeah. So that yeah. equals the same equal 100%, but you're diversifying it across 100 people's efforts. Love that, man. Yeah. As uh, I heard somebody once say, if you don't know how to start the lawnmower, you don't have to cut the grass. So find find somebody who can do it 80% as well as you can and then let go. Let go. It's great stuff, yep. man. Love it. Cool, cool. So going into closing, man, I, I think this was, was a hell of a, a interview, a lot of insight, a, a lot of um, humor as well. But this is the time. I mean, you're a fellow podcaster, so the, the microphone is yours. The floor is yours. I mean, any questions that you would like to ask me? Well, um, what do you see as um, the future of podcasting? It's it's going through changes as 2021 rolls on. Where do you think we're headed? Uh, it's funny that, that you ask that question because I always kind of want to look at history, right? History repeats itself. So I always tell people that are listening to podcasts and they're like, oh, this is so great. It's so new. It really isn't, right? I mean, radio is really the the granddaddy of podcasting. So look at the history of that industry and then look at xm what, what happened with xm and now podcasting is essentially taking segmentations of both these principles and the only unique factor that's a difference is now the general public has access to creating radio stations creating xm radios so the next is like how do we scale it right and i think clubhouse attempted to do that now we have facebook and we have twitter all going backwards considering that they all had video before they had audio right mm -hmm. so understanding mm -hmm. like so how do you monetize this and i think that's the next phase is like looking at what how was radio really monetized and we kind of have some of that going on in podcasting where we have affiliate offers and we have commercial spots but what does that really gonna look like at scale when you're talking about millions of people creating all this content how are we going to really monetize this to the bigger goal? And that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like what's the next step of monetization in advertising and podcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, I think money follows value. So just as you're doing so well, just keep adding such great value uh, to your listeners, your audience and money follows. Um, I heard somebody once say, if you, if you want uh, advice, ask for money. And if you want money, ask for advice. So, nice. um, you know, keep, keep just asking people for advice and, uh, money, I think follows, you know, you'll, you'll give them such value. They'll, they can't help, but want to support you. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I, I definitely appreciate your time. I mean, I take it out. I think there's a holiday weekend technically, but you know, we both had the opportunity to have a, a really insightful conversation and all the nuggets and jewels and, and the humor that you deliver is definitely well appreciated. Hey, let's go for some financial independence, man. It's Independence Day weekend. Let's make this thing real. Let's make it legit. Let's make it official. Yep. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. 
email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762-233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.